0: Good morning, church. If you're new here, my name is John Loftness. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Church. Would you please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10? Proverbs chapter 10. And before we go there, uh, a week from today, after our Sunday worship, we will have a, what we call a family meeting, uh, church meeting, all church meeting. If you're not a member of the church, you're more than welcome to attend, uh, if for no other reason than that lunch is provided. So, uh, you know, some churches are willing to go to great lengths to get people to attend, and I guess that's one of ours. Let's pray, that we have prayed so wonderfully, and thank you for leading us, Chris. Um, Lord, we, we ask for attentiveness. We ask for minds that can focus now for 40 minutes so that we can hear your voice in, these, in this passage of Scripture. So, give us the strength of attention, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many years ago, many years ago, at age 18, I entered college, and we freshmen, including more than half of us women, what do they call them today? Fresh persons? I I don't know, but we arrived a week before classes for what was called orientation. We went to events where we met each other and faculty and upper classmen. We played group games together. We heard lectures about how to navigate campus life and how to succeed at academics. For example, don't stay up all night and skip your classes the next day. We heard stories of the great traditions of our college and that now, We were becoming a part of that storied tradition. Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 work like this for the school of wisdom. These chapters orient us to wisdom. They introduce us to our key teachers. They warn us to avoid things that lead to folly and its tragic consequences. They tell stories of the great wisdom tradition that God has built into the entire universe. Well, orientation is over. And Proverbs 10 is the first day of class. Now, If you've sat in classes, and I have many, for many professors you come to realize their first lecture gives you a taste of what's to come. They try to inspire you as well as to introduce you to the contents of the course. And often as they describe everything, you become bewildered. You're not used to this teacher. He connects things that don't seem to connect. He seems to jump from one topic to another. You're not used to the terms he uses. And he talks too fast. The good ones do this. They inspire you, and they show you how far you need to travel to gain mastery over this subject matter. Now, at first glance, Proverbs 10 is a jumble of short unrelated sayings and we're gonna look at a unit which would be verses 1 through 22 and as you read them as I have over and over again you wonder well m- maybe they are related our text today is what one scholar Paul Overland calls a single unit verses 1 through 22 as I said You have to stare at it for a while to see how all these verses connect When you look at the beginning and the end of these verses You think that this text is all about Making money look at verse 2 Verse 1 is an introduction to the text verse 2 treasures gained by wickedness do not profit and then look at the last verse in the section, verse 22. The blessings of the Lord make rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. So, begins with money, and it ends with money. But only five other verses in the rest of the passage are specifically about gaining riches. In fact, one-third of the passages are about Speaking and listening words. We say to other people and words we hear from other people So which is it is it about working to earn a living or is it about good communication or are they related? Let me give you my summation of what I think this text is about and then as I'm as we're going through it together I want you to see if you agree it's this If you walk in wisdom, you will find true wealth that will provide for you and give you the ability to spread your blessing, this blessing of wealth, to others. If you walk in wisdom, you will find true wealth that will provide for you and give you the ability to spread this blessing to others. My title for this sermon is The Path to Wealth. Now, before we begin to look at the text, I need to warn you that what you are about to hear is radically different from what you've been told in our society. This is really, really different. So I want you to think about, before we read the text, what is the American way to wealth? And I'm going to give you my list, see what you think. Number one, first, to gain wealth, you have to go to school. And it will help a lot if you go to a school with a good reputation. Number two, you need to build a portfolio of accomplishments, good grades and test scores playing on sports teams or in musical groups, memberships in clubs or service organizations. Number three, and number three could allow you to skip numbers one and two. If you develop a skill that people are willing to pay you lots of money to perform, you can gain wealth. So think plumber or electrician or computer coder or elite athlete. Number four, sometimes you can gain great wealth by simply being good at persuading other people to do what you want them to do. Think politicians and marketers, Steve Jobs, President Obama. Think Instagram influencers. Finally, number five, you must develop a network of relationships with people who can open doors of opportunity for you. That's the American way to wealth. None of these in themselves are bad. But all, all of this is secondary and none of it is necessary to what is most important. And what is most important is developing wisdom in how to work in a community of people. Developing wisdom in how to work in a community of people. The wealth comes in the wake of the wisdom. Now if you are parents here today, and there are many parents here today raising children, I want you to ask yourself, what list drives me in the education of my children? Is it more oriented toward the list I just gave you, or is it oriented toward what the book of Proverbs tells us? And so, if if you're a teenager here today, pay careful attention because actually the book was written for you as the primary audience. If you're a parent today, you want to think about, am I leading my children in this way of wisdom? So let's look at the text. And see what we can find. We're going to go through it verse by verse. The first section of the text, verses 1 through 5, give us foundations for gaining wealth. Foundations for gaining wealth. Number 1, verse 1, reads the Proverbs of Solomon. So this now opens up a whole new section to the book of Proverbs. What follows are sayings that King Solomon collected and used to teach the young men of his kingdom. Now, the next words are, my son. And I don't want you young women to feel left out for two reasons. I would say to you, pay attention because this is the kind of guy you want to marry. And second, Proverbs calls you to teach your sons, you to teach your sons. You're gonna notice this in the second half of verse one. To teach your sons and urge them toward wisdom. And to do this, you have to understand wisdom yourself. And you need to teach your daughters the same wisdom which they can apply in the sphere of life God has called them to. So this applies to all of us. So let's begin with the rest of verse one. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. An education in wisdom begins with having the right teachers. And you are blessed indeed if your first and best teachers are your mother and father. You should be oriented toward pleasing your teachers if they are wise, teachers because their joy or sorrow is is directly tied to you succeeding in learning wisdom if dad and mom are happy i must be making progress if dad and mom are sad i've got a real problem not with them but because i'm becoming a fool verse 2 treasures gained by wickedness do not profit but righteousness delivers from death so the chapter begins with obtaining wealth now proverbs sometimes the two lines of a proverb it you look at it and think okay why did he put those two together you would think the second half of the verse, you know, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but treasures gained by righteousness do profit. But that's not the point. Wicked people do get rich. I just look around at society. This is obviously true. But where does their wickedness lead them? It leads them to death in Proverbs the word righteousness refers to living in right relationship with God and other people not only do you obey God's commands but you seek to make your life and your work and your wealth fit in with the world as God created it not only the material world but also your neighbors you your goal is that everything is in right relationship the right righteous person is in right relationship with God. He's in right relationship with his neighbors. He's in right relationship with the world around him. The opposite of righteousness in Proverbs is wickedness, where all kinds of relationships are disjointed and broken as you flail about, seeking to selfishly get what you want. Righteous business dealings may not make you rich, but they will deliver you from death. The death that comes from living under the judgment of God. So let's now go to verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. The foundation of all righteous wealth is that the Lord personally sees to it that you always have enough. If you have a lot, you thank Him and trust Him for the future. Your goal is not riches, but righteousness. If you have only just enough, you thank Him and trust Him for the future. So you have this promise the wicked may get rich, and you may not get rich because you're seeking to be righteous, but the Lord promises you will never go hungry. The wicked may get rich, but they're never satisfied. The Lord, notice in the second half, the Lord thwarts the craving of the wicked. So for all the money they amass, their cravings are never satisfied. They never have enough. The only wealth worth having is wealth gained by righteousness. Verse 4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand is a hand that's moving, but not with any impact. It's going through the motions. When my children were growing up, we got a canoe and took it on lakes and rivers. Uh, one of my daughters was notorious when it was her turn to be in the bow, the front position. She would move the paddle in the water at the same speed of as the boat. She wasn't pulling, and I would suddenly realize, i'm the one moving this boat she's just flopping along enjoying the scenery i recently read that during the pandemic a new trend developed in some people's attitude toward work they call it quiet quitting you do as little as possible just enough so you don't get fired another trend has been to look for what some women call lazy girl jobs Jobs that just pay the bills are easy to do and require minimal time. Now, it's true that some companies expect way more out of their employees than their paycheck reflects. Just because you work from home doesn't mean you must answer the boss's frivolous emails at 10 at night. But if you don't learn to pull hard when you are in the boat, you will end up in poverty. So when it comes to riches, there's effort involved. Hard work leads to riches, righteous riches, not the riches gained through wickedness. So recognize that. Recognize that if you're a student, it's good to work hard at your studies. If you have chores at home, it's good to work hard at your Chores, You're developing wisdom in doing this. Verse five, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son. Okay, prudence is he's thinking ahead. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So not only do you learn, need to learn how to work hard, but you need to know when to give your greatest effort. Now, this might be harder to detect in our culture. In a farming society, when the crop came in, you harvested it as fast as possible. And if it meant 18-hour days and working in the moonlight, that was what it took. If you didn't bring in the harvest, It could be ruined by the weather or by pests. This means working on the paper and studying for the test before the day that it is due. And I must confess, I have much experience in that approach. (laughs) Diligent, intelligent work habits will lead you to prosper in whatever your field of work may be. Going through the motions leads to unnecessary, shameful poverty. So that's the relationship between wealth and work. I'm sorry, that's the relationship. This is the foundation for gaining wealth, as I said, number one. Number two, what's the relationship between wealth and speech? Verses 6 through 14 now you have to read verses 6 through 14 in the context of the entire unit how do the wise gain wealth to gain wealth you must know how and when to speak and how to listen to other people so verse 6 blessings are on the head of the righteous but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence now that reference to Something on your head gives the impression that you wear your blessings like a crown. They enhance your life. They announce your wonderful position. When you live a righteous life, the blessings that follow are seen and known by everyone. But not everyone is righteous. Not everyone says what he means and means what he says some speak deceptively the word violence here Refers to someone that wrecks or destroys something. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, a physical attack on a human being It's a person who wrecks something it can be and I think it is more related to our word malice referring to evil intent and mischief hidden intent to do harm You must be wise in speaking truthfully, and you must be wise in recognizing when someone is using words to deceive you to your harm or to the harm of the whole community. Verse 7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. If you live righteously in your community, people will remember you for the blessings that you brought them. If you're a cheat, if, you know, if you're known for changing the terms of the contract after it's been signed, your reputation will be such that no one will trust you just like they won't trust the steps on a rotten staircase. Verse 8, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. So listening and understanding are far more important than speaking. This has been a hard lesson for me to learn through my life. I was a babbler at many points when you receive directions from someone over you or someone wiser than you you take his words into your heart and act on them but some people always seem to know better than their superiors they speak of what they do not know you cannot talk yourself into wisdom you must speak only from listening and understanding just because you said it doesn't make it true and if you think it does it will lead to your ruin and you will come into poverty verse 9 whoever walks in integrity walks securely but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out see there is a a wonderful peace that comes, and a wonderful sense of security knowing that you kept your word and you did the right thing. If your words are crooked, bent in a way to convince someone to do something which later will harm them, eventually you'll be discovered and you live your life always looking over your shoulder to see if you're about to get caught. Verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble. And here he comes again. A babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, we're not exactly sure what Solomon meant by winking with the eye. There's pages of speculation. It may be a secret signal. Uh, I've wondered, I didn't find this in the scholars, but maybe it's like telling a lie, but crossing your fingers behind your back as if that will undo your responsibility, that was a thing when I was a kid. The point here is to be clear and truthful in your speech so that no one is surprised by how different your words were to what you did. If you're proved to be deceptive, you will cause trouble with yourself and with those you've harmed. But then why pair this with babbling? Speaking whatever comes to your mind. Speaking things that you really don't know. Because if you're so busy talking, you will not pick up the signals that you or others are being cheated. You're talking so much, you're not listening to what's going on here. Verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. When the righteous speak, it brings life to the community. When the wicked speak, they can feel conceal the mischief they are planning. Verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, you have to pair verse 12 with verse 11. And if you do, you learn that you should not vent your hatred. The word strife is used repeatedly in Proverbs four or five times in reference to the quarrelsome wife, the woman who speaks and produces strife. This proverb says that when you are offended, you should not lash out with harsh, hard words. You should seek to be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker. Interestingly, the Apostle Peter quotes this verse in his first letter. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so, so your mouth should be a fountain of life. You shouldn't conceal your hatred because your hatred stirs up Strife, even if you're bearing it in your heart, but if you seek to be a peacemaker, love covers offenses. But that does not mean that we should cover up our own sins. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It also does not mean we should re- refrain from giving an appropriate rebuke. Proverbs 27, 5, and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So the point in verses 11 and 12 is that in our dealings with people, we should not harbor resentments and we should be quick to forgive and we should be willing to overlook those offenses that do not have lasting Impacts not everything is worth getting into Verse 13 On the lips of him who has understanding wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who what lacks sense if you've obtained Understanding by listening to wise people and you use your understanding wisely You'll avoid the kinds of mistakes that lead to your punishment Verse 14, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So what happens is as you internalize wisdom and act on wisdom, your heart becomes a storehouse of knowledge to be used at the appropriate time. This is your most important bank account. (laughs) If you want to store anything up for a, a future day, store up wisdom when the fool speaks he can say things that will lead to financial ruin so here again we have come back to the theme of wealth be rich in wisdom and the money will follow fail to store up and act on on wisdom and the money will flee Number three, the third section of this text, verses 15 and 16, the relationship between wealth and security. Verse 15, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, this verse speaks a truth And many of us have looked at this and said, yeah, that's why you need to have savings. But it's only half the truth. Yes, it is true, money can protect you. It can buy guards and security systems and lawyers and doctors. It can get you out of trouble. It can even get you out of trouble that you caused. Poor people on the other hand have no financial margin If they can't pay the rent, they end up homeless. If they are attacked in a lawsuit, they cannot afford to hire a defense attorney. Proverbs acknowledges that having extra money is better than having only just enough. Money can, and I would add, does make life easier. But you've got to read this verse in connection with verse 16 the wage of the righteous leads to life the gain of the wicked to sin if you make money your goal and money the source of your security you might get better health care you might be able to live in a nice safe place but that does not lead to life as you Pursue righteous deeds in your community, that leads to life. Okay, you live a righteous life, it affects others, and the payment you get is life. The wicked, who are only concerned with gaining riches for their comfort and protection, will sin in their pursuits. So if money's your object, inevitably, you're going to sin in pursuing money. If righteousness and the goodness of the community is your object, it will lead to life. And you have the promise of God, you will always have enough. As Romans 3 says starkly, the wages of sin is death. Section number 4, verses 17 to 21 the relationship between wealth and society. Okay, so now we're talking about the wealth and the larger community. Verse 17 Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Instruction means teaching that demands conformity, okay? Most people in our society, you don't look at your teacher as someone who, if they say it, I'm going to do it. Your instructor in Proverbs tells you what to think and what to do, and you accept it, and you do it. If you have a wise father or some other wise teacher, you listen to him, do what he says, only because you trust his wisdom. Later on, as you experience the good effects of your obedience, you see the truth from the inside. You see that you are on the path to life. Okay, so you, it's not just here and you've got to do. And sometimes you're doing, even though you don't fully get it, but because you trust your teacher, you do it anyway. And as you're doing it, you realize, oh, this makes a lot of sense now. But your acceptance or rejection of wisdom doesn't affect you alone. If you reject reproof, you often look very bold. You are your own man nobody tells me what to do and for a while maybe you are successful and then others follow you into folly if you reject reproof other people may follow you in your way to their harm your example makes a difference verse 18 the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool if you hide your hatred you're a liar okay if you're nice and sweetie sweetie on the outside and oh how good it is to see you to see you but on the inside you are filled with resentment you have lying lips if you vent your hatred to others, you're a fool. This proverb challenges the hypocrite to renounce his hatred and to stop speaking behind the back of the person he hates to destroy that person's reputation. But now we got to look at verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So this is a call to speak carefully. Speak only what you know to be true. If you run off at the mouth, you're going to eventually say something sinful. So when you aren't sure what to say, keep quiet. Don't make it up as you go. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. So now we're back to the theme of wealth. When you learn the wisdom of righteous involvement in the community, people come to value your words. People come seeking you out for advice. Because they say, this is valuable when you're known for your wicked behavior no one benefits from your advice verse 21 back to the subject of wealth the lips of the righteous feed many but fools die for lack of sense when you learn wisdom you not only benefit yourself your wealth overflows to feed many feed them with feed them with Wisdom, words of wisdom, and when they're in need, your money feeds them. So we begin to get the picture that in this section of Scripture, there are two kinds of wealth. There's wisdom, and there's riches obtained through righteous hard work. Fools, on the other hand, cannot even feed themselves. So let's just review where we've come so far. If you listen to your wise teachers, starting with your parents, you gain understanding for how to gain wealth. You'll learn hard work. You'll learn how to listen well to your teachers. You'll learn to detect those in your community who are cheats. You'll conduct your business honestly and openly. You'll speak only what is true and disclose what another person may need to know to do business with you. You'll resolve offenses and not secretly hate or privately slander the one who offended you. You'll see any wealth you gain, both in wisdom and in money, as wealth to be shared with others all of your society benefits from the wealth that you have obtained so that's that's the practice but we're not done yet number 5 the ultimate foundation of all wealth verse 22 the blessing of the lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it if you are the object of God's blessing you will be rich you will be rich now we saw in verse 2 that the wicked do gain treasures but as we've gone through this passage we've learned that despite all their material success they are never satisfied and they're on the road to death So this is the reality of getting wealth for yourself and not receiving it as a gift from the Lord What you thought would bring you comfort and safety and joy has only added sorrows to your life Yeah, you're protected from some troubles But with the money comes broken relationships a heart seething with hatred a bad reputation with those who really know you So if money is your object, that's where it will take you. Wisdom is the path to wealth. And wealth is more than material abundance. Wealth is knowing that God is good. That he will not allow you to go hungry. You'll always have enough. Wealth is having a reputation in your community for doing good to others. And always dealing honestly. Wealth is seeing that everything you do is a gift to be enjoyed in thanksgiving to the giver. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. It's all a gift. Do you have a lot? It's a gift. Do you have just enough? It's a gift. Do you have wisdom? It's a gift. It's a gift from God. So, young man. Got a lot of young men here. Makes me happy. Do you want to find your way into a good career that will allow you to provide for yourself, and a wife, and children, and even for others? This is the path to follow the path of wisdom, the path that leads to true riches. This is the way to wealth. Make money your aim, you'll become a fool. Make wisdom your aim, and you will find favor with God and other people. You will be truly wealthy. Lord, as we've even seen in this text and in Proverbs 1 through 9, simply hearing a sermon on wisdom has little value unless we internalize the words of Scripture and do them. And so, Lord, I pray that these 22 verses would be verses that we take into ourselves and remember in the day we need them. Let wisdom be our greatest storehouse. Let it be the greatest wealth that we acquire. And teach us that we get it because you bless us. It's all a gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.